Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 131st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that still isn't quite sure which way the winds of fate will blow. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product, with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter, and my co-host tonight, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin. We're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey, James, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Travis, very, very good. Had an excellent uh, summer weekend up at the cottage, relaxing and uh, doing a little bit of foil boarding, which was pretty insane. Yeah, I saw that picture, and I'm aware of that as an activity. It looked uh, pretty awesome. So just to sketch sketch this in for people that don't understand or haven't checked this out yet, um, wakeboarding is like a board with boots on it, right? Okay. Um, wake skating is basically a board with no boots, and foil boarding is basically <laughs> a board with an, like a sword dangling underneath it attached to two fins all of which can cut your limbs off if you hit them at the right speed and angle and what you do with this thing is position it in the water incredibly awkwardly and then a boat tries to drag you and if you manage to wrestle your way back up onto this board and you hit a certain speed the thing pops up out into the out of the water like a flying carpet about three feet with just the fins left under the water <laughs> I would like to see video of somebody getting cut in half by their board. You got to feel the first time you touch one of these, feel the backside of the wing that prevails below the board. And you'll see what I'm talking about. It's about the same thickness and and sharpness of the backside of a sword. (laughs) And it is not something you want to run into at high speed. I can't. I mean, it seems like it would be difficult to do, but yeah, that would be would be unpleasant. And I, I, I can't even describe. You, you have to try it for yourself to see how crazy it feels when you pop out of the water on this thing. Because if you've ever snowboarded or skateboarded or wakeboarded, you're used to your contact with the surface of whatever you're on, snow, water, concrete, whatever, being solid. And then you're working the edges of your board to to move around yeah cut across the surface but on this thing you're not touching anything so the subtlest of movements amplify down the wing and Mm. it takes almost nothing to like if you lean too far back on this thing the wing pops up out of the water (laughs) and then you collapse from three feet up (laughs) so your wipeout is all sorts of crazy uh clearly designed for the observer the people oh yeah yeah, the, the the trying to the learning how to do this is is good comedy, and the wiping out is good comedy. Some of the accidents are more like tragic carnage, but the few precious moments where you're floating through the sky and you feel like you're flying and singing this theme song to Aladdin are well worth the effort. Sounds like it was a great time. Uh, I did nothing nearly as interesting. I played a game of Through the Ages, which took like eight and a half hours. But it was yeah, I saw you complaining about that. <laughs> it was, but it was fun. Good game. I recommend it. 
but not quite as not quite as thrilling. Yeah, we were playing this like risk style game called Akuza or something. Hmm. Um which is a it's like a seven out of ten on board game geek, I K U S A. Um I'd recommend it for, you know, if you have a group of people that are into strategy games and are willing to suffer through a four to six hour session. Um and read the rule book about six times in a row since it is not the greatest. Mm. Um, definitely not the kind of game you want to play with the, those social types that want to be in and out of something in an hour and are checking their phones constantly. Yeah, we have a, uh, you know, our, our list of games for different audiences, basically. Smart. What kind of segments do we have this week? Well, James, we have a show in four parts this week. Segment one is our top movers. We'll talk about the cards that have risen the most in price this week. Segment two, our cards to watch. We'll talk about some cards we think may rise in price in the future. Segment three, our metagame week in review. We'll touch briefly on GP Brussels and GP Orlando, both standard. And finally, segment four, our topic of the week. We thought we would argue about Nexus of Fate some more. So let's start off the week with our top movers. Cryptolithrite out of Shadows over Innistrad foils eight and change up to about 16 for double up. Uh, that's almost entirely EDH. I think it's something something like 12,000. Yeah, 10, EDH, 10 and a half thousand already. Yeah, quite a bit. Uh, very popular, very useful. Honestly, at 11,000, 10, 5, it's probably not in enough decks. Um, just a very effective card. Uh, it's, it's sort of like a Gaius Cradle, an enchantment Gaius Cradle. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure this was a pick of ours back down the road when it within six months of when it first came out. And we were probably a little early on it, but good to see it paying off. Yeah, I feel like I would. I feel like I've talked about it at least twice. <laughs> I like the card quite a bit, but so yeah, pretty uh, pretty straightforward. All right, so next on the list we have Wild Growth, uh, relatively innocuous enchantment from Seventh Edition. The foil printing um, because it's seventh, and because suddenly might be relevant in the Bant uh, Enchantments Matters deck, going from fifteen to thirty dollars for a double up. Okay, pretty straightforward there. After that is uh, Semblance Anvil, a little less obvious. Reasonably popular in EDH, something like 2,300 decks, uh, but definitely pretty useful there. It's also an occasional modern combo piece since you can, I, th- I know the most popular way to use it is uh, with Mere Superion. You play Semblance Anvil, you pitch a creature, your creatures now cost two less, which makes your Mere Superion a free 5-6. It's a lot of work for a Mere Superion, but you can do it. Um, I, it may have popped up in like a streamer deck recently that we didn't catch, but uh, I know that those would be the two most common uses of that card. Sure. Uh, next on the list, we have Goblin Bushwhacker, which is seeing some significant play in modern. So not surprising to see the Zendikar foils move from $8 to 20 um, I think I might have a few of those lying around. Probably a good time to be listing them. Yeah, I got uh, I got 10 or so for mine, one copy recently, uh, a little bit more than that, maybe. So not 20, but I was part of the part of the ride up, I guess. Next on the list, we've got Damping Engine from Urza's Legacy. Foils going from $6 to 15 This is just uh, Originals, Urza's Block, Foil nonsense. Um, nothing too much to see there. Um, and then after that is Kyoki, Sanity's Edge uh, from Betrayers of Kamigawa. Foils, Foreign Change, up to 10 uh, I mean, this is a Betrayers of Kamigawa foil, so, you know, there were probably four on the market prior to this, and it's legendary. It's one of the Spirit or Arcane ones. Um, I, you know, I think I saw something else with Spirit or Arcane spells, too. I wonder if, uh, I think there might be a, some people playing a very mild 
spirit or arcane sub theme in their Yuriko deck. Maybe. Um, Cause I saw a couple other like trial lists that had spirit or arcane matters cards, but like, that's the best I can come up with. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a, a stretch, but the thing is that once these 20 year old foils disappear, they come into the market so much less frequently than somebody will occasionally want them. So it'll probably hold a plateau relatively close to its peak price here. Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to like really lose money holding on to a card like this. The only real problem is that your just opportunity cost is very high, right? Yeah, there are better options generally. Yeah. Up next is uh, one of your favorites here. Oh, yeah. Happy to see this moving. This was I think we called this out a few weeks back. Um, Hangerback Walker foils some uh, Magic Origins moving from $11 to $30. Um, yeah, that was one of my picks last week, right? Was it last, last week? I know. Yeah, yeah, last week. It was this either this or uh, Walking Bliss. I feel like you talk about those regularly. Yeah, it was Hangerback Walker. Um, okay. And that's you're right, it's at least the second or third time I mentioned that eventually a zero casting cost artifact with upside and all sorts of tricky things to do with it was going to make people money. Um, it made people money when it was in standard the first time when it was underestimated. And this is like the second or third time because I think the masterpieces have made money as well coming out of the, the winter masterpiece hype cycle. Okay. Um, um, we also mentioned last week that the masterpieces would probably move off of 70. I didn't notice whether that happened or not. Uh, I did not notice either. Let me just quickly take a look at that, see what's up. All right. Well, he's taking a look. I'll noxious hatchling out of eventide foils changed to 250. Kind of, you know, somebody bought a couple of them, I guess, and that moved it. But that's the, the price point we generally are not fans of because it's very hard to make a profit on that. Exactly. And yeah, the masterpieces are still floating around around 70. So I think that's pretty good, pretty good thing to be picking up, especially if you believe in that deck lasting in modern for any period of time. Yeah. And so I mean, the pack foils are 30, like 70 for the masterpiece seems pretty solid. Yep. Especially since it's a four of Gravecrawler from Dark Ascension foils, likewise moving from 10 to 30. This seems to be the thing for like a five to six year old rear. Um, if it becomes suddenly good in modern, the foils jumping 10 or $20 um, into that, you know, mid range tier for modern foils, um, not entirely surprising. And, you know, by all accounts, that deck is, is solid. So, um, yeah. Question is how long it'll stick around. Yeah. And I, yeah, I can see Gravecrawler, you know, 30 for the foils is probably a little high. I think that'll come back down towards uh, like 20 or 25. But I do see Gravecrawler being pretty sticky in modern and basically until it's reprinted simply because it's going to it's going to be like the first card into anything approaching a dredge deck in modern. Uh, so it's just always going to be it's just going to keep coming back every time there's zombies around. Uh, so uh, it, it's a sticky card, I think. So Seth over at Goldfish uh, posted an article talking about how modern decks are 26% more expensive this year because of the relatively modest in uh, inflow of re modern reprints, which I would tie um, to the back-to-back -back master sets that were not focused on that. Um, heading into 2019, I would expect we will see a reversal. Um, I would definitely expect to see a... Uh, master set that even if it's not called modern masters has a strong mass uh, modern um, reprint sub theme if you were um, and i think lots of different cards are are on the chopping block potentially 
As per usual, only a small fraction of them will actually make it in, but you'll have to be aware of cards like Goblin Bushwhacker, like Hangerback Walker, like Gravecrawler, all of which may pop their head up again. Yeah, you know, I know that uh, a couple of people were pointing out to me on Twitter semi-recently that, um, you know, they're, they're not doing the modern masters anymore. It's about the sets, not about themes, not formats, which I say, yeah, sure, whatever. Like they're not going to print the cards that are desperately needed in modern just because. Yeah, so I would say, well, I mean, and 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 themes is all well and good, but that <laughs> they're still going to respond to modern being more expensive. Like they, they do have internal dialogue and and target um, access points, right? They they have a thought in internally about what they think a modern deck should cost, even if they're not sharing it with us. Correct. Yeah. So and. And especially given that the last two master sets that were so heavily themed didn't do that well, um, weren't that well regarded, and Modern Masters 2017 was very well regarded, I, I think they'd be crazy not to at least embrace the the structure, if not the declared theme. Yeah. So I think we can agree that there will probably be modern reprints, uh, even if it's not so in name for the next master set, and Gravecrawler is definitely a high likelihood of showing up there. Um, after that is Stone Cedar Hero Fat, the foils, a dollar change up towards five. We talked about this, Cliff and I, like two weeks ago. The non foils, I think, had moved. Um, useful, yeah, and the Jund, the Jund list, most likely. Uh, the new Jund Commander, it's a Land Matters card. Uh, I think we talked about it being pop or two. You, you know, honestly, we might have. We might have narrowed in on something specific, but it was two or three weeks ago, and now I can't remember if we had said something about it, if we had some additional mm-hmm. insight. I mean, I'm only seeing like less than 700 decks on EDH Rex, so it's not something I would make a high priority. And I think there are other cards for the Wind Grace deck um, that are probably more important. And again, moving from two dollars to five dollars isn't the the kind of needle move we we need to make it worthwhile to pay attention. No, I mean, if you had a pile of them, great, but yeah, whatever. Both sailed on that one. Uh, then after that was Inkai, Servant of Oni, the Betrayer of Kamigawa foils, pack foils, uh, eight and change up to about 26, 27, uh, almost definitely on the back of Yuriko, who cares about ninjas, of which Inkai's is probably the most well-known, uh, and a long-time uh, casual favorite because of the uh, rat component of that card. Yeah, rats plus ninjas. And it does cool shit. So people building Yuriko um, will provide some modicum of demand here. And we'll talk about the other foil versions shortly. Yes. All right. So next on the list, we've got Omnath, Locus of Rage, Battle for Zendikar. Uh, non-foils going from $4 to $15. Um, this was a mythic from that set. Um, and it was sitting around in bulk boxes um, for ages. Uh, or in low-value binders, so you should definitely be poking around at your local store to see if there's any copies sitting around. Yeah, I kept trying to recommend this card in terms of uh, <clears throat> like a spec, but it always just felt like there was a it was a little too expensive and a little too much supply whenever I wanted to. I might have written about it once, actually. I don't remember, but yeah, I mean, with the, with the fact that um, you know the biggest problem with Get Rog Monster was basically that you couldn't play Omnath. Uh, and vice versa. And now you have the ability to play both of them with a Planeswalker that sort of ties them together, which is good enough. So now you can shove both of those decks together and make something pretty nasty. And Omnath alone was already like the seventh most popular EDH general of all time on EDH Trek. I don't think people realize how popular that card is. I had 
never in real life seen someone play that card or talk about it. Um, now, granted, my EDH circle is probably a little insular, but I just had no idea how popular it was until I noticed it on the website. Yeah, it's going to have me looking overseas to see where I can get cheaper copies of this thing. And yeah, well, good luck. I, I I did look at one point and couldn't find anything, but who knows now. And I know I have some Korean and Russian foil or non-foil sitting around as well from boxes I popped. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, and then Mindstone from 10th edition. Uh, foils uh, looks like 10 to about 30. It's in 34,000 decks from that... Uh, 34,000 EDH decks, so quite a quite a bit of play. Um, I mean, the foil, I can't imagine there were many copies of that on the market to begin with, because um, I remember I've looked over Mindstone more than once thinking that it was a good card to pick, and I have never written it down because like the supplier was just never well positioned. I think the prices were usually too high. In any case, I don't think the supply on those was deep in the first place. My yeah. very long-winded way of saying that. Yeah, I mean, 10th edition is like 2008 or 2009 or something. So ages ago. Yep. And it's the type of card that like, we've already seen a bunch of reprints on it. Um, I don't know what off the top of my head what the most recent foil printing was. I know it's shown up in like Commander a couple of times, but it could always show up again. Oh, it was an Iconic Masters. It's a foil. Okay, so it's common in Iconic Masters. So (laughs) I guess. (laughs) And it's $1.50 for those foils. So let me take, there are 75 vendors with Iconic Master common foils and, you know, there's multiple copies per vendor. So I don't know, somebody really wanted a 10th edition copy, don't bother. Just go get the Iconic Masters one and be done with it. There's, this thing's used the same art in every edition except for the WPN Gateway promos. Yeah. And they are sitting around at like $8 and there might be like 20 or 30 of them left online. That seems like a solid target. Could be, yeah. Doesn't seem like it's not. Doesn't seem unreasonable if people think they can scoop. get thirty-five for the tenth edition ones. Yeah, I mean, I would scoop a handful of these promo versions. They have uh, cool foiling, the DCI watermark in the backdrop. Um, anything under ten, looking to exit over twenty, seems fine. Sure. How about after that? Spellbook foils from 7th edition. 7th edition foils just constantly under pressure. Every one of the ones that I scooped up locally like 10 days ago, um, I've either had offers on or I've already sold. Um, for Spellbook specifically? No, just for random 7th edition foils. Random I think I pick up 7 or 8 of them. Okay. And pretty much everything I grabbed, I doubled or tripled my money because it had been sitting around underpriced. Yeah, I uh, I started a foil 7th edition collection actually a while ago because I picked up a, a... I always liked the foil old border cards and it was, of course, the only... One of the only foil old border ones. Um, so it looked quite, looked quite good. Um so I got a chunk of them, but I wasn't actively pursuing them at the time. Uh, and now, of course, they're all a million dollars. So I'm like, well, I probably made money on all the ones that I have, but I'm never getting another one. Yeah, g- g- going <laughs> after is what it is. <laughs> yeah, g- going after the whole thing is is a is a big commitment. Sorry, I got the, the bird of paradise, so I considered it a a victory <laughs> overall. That's pretty cool. So Spellbook 7th edition foils went from 60 to 240 in theory. Um, it's only in about 5,000 EDH decks, so that's a significant presence. But I don't see anybody paying $240 for it. I would expect this to end up plateauing back closer to 80 to 100. Yeah, and even that like seems like it's going to be hard to get somebody to, to bite the bullet on it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the next one's a little more believable because of where it's played. Palace Jailer has was a uh, featured prominently in some major legacy matches at the last Pro Tour. It's a conspiracy take the crown card, so it's relatively rare. Um, foils going from twenty to hundred is kind of crazy, but I won't be surprised to see it post up somewhere between twenty to forty, fifty. I guess I could believe sixty at the outside. hundred seems like push. I mean, I got to tell you, I think it could hold 60 pretty easily. I have been trying to get a, I tried to get a foil copy of this card like immediately because I wanted it for my Brago deck. Uh, and it was already like already too expensive at that point in time. So this has continued to be popular, expensive in EDH because of EDH demand with like fringe legacy demand and it's growing in legacy too. So I really don't I see this holding 60 pretty easily. I think there's a lot of demand for it. All right. Um, so we've also got Ickerclaw Mirror out of Scars of Mirrodin. Foils going from $3 to 15 on the back of Occasional Play in Blue, Green, Infect in Modern. Set is old enough now that uh, without uh, that the original foils are you know, not surprisingly in motion. And you know the people aren't picking up full play sets of this, so I'd be happy to unload mine at that price. Yeah, yeah, foil, 15 bucks for foil Icar Claw Mirrors. Like, you got you to gotta be happy with that. And, you know, we haven't seen, in fact, really be a major component of modern for quite some time now. Um, you know, it pops up here and there, of course, but it's not like it used to be where it was a serious tier one deck. So take it and get out and uh, look for your next entry point. Um, following that is Disrupt Decorum from Commander 2017. It's like just under four bucks to about 20. It's a non-foil because uh, it was only in the Commander printing. And it's about 1,600 decks, which isn't bad, but I guess people decided this was the time to do it. Uh, I would have to imagine this is a little targeted. Um, I don't think there was anything printed recently that would trigger sudden demand. Uh, I don't think people were waiting for it. And 1,600 decks isn't enough that it was like, you know, all of this pent-up demand. And then as soon as it wasn't in this year's set, people pulled the trigger. This seems like somebody might have just gone after it. This is probably for the Thantis decks. Thanos yeah. the War Weaver is the five five legendary spider for from the Wind Grace deck. Oh. Vigilance Reach, all creatures attack each combat a fable. So this is just like reinforcing your theme in case your commander is not in play. Yeah, that's definitely what it is. I keep forgetting that card is there. Like it was it was just such an underwhelming and uninteresting commander that I just like for, forgot about it in the product. Like every yeah. time I've seen it, I've been like, oh yeah, that's there too. It's mm-hmm. also a card. But what's interesting about Disrupt Decorum is either Jason or Cliff's going to have to follow up with an article on MTG Price exploring the average price increase within, let's call it, two years from the printing of uh, Commander-exclusive rares. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion those numbers are very attractive indeed. Maybe. I, would... I mean, we've, we've had a lot of these cards pop off. True. True, for sure, for sure. I think, yeah, a single print commanding, single printed commander card definitely uh, feels like it is on the very low end of supply relative to a lot of the other stuff we talk about. And and almost none of those cards have seen a reprint. No, no, and it's it's tough because the wizards could just go back to that well again. If you look at cards that were only printed in commander products, a lot of them have been printed in more than one. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I bet you that number is pretty high. Uh, you know, but if they don't, then you're in real good shape. Well, but it's a difference between a card like a Mindstone or a Soul Ring, where they include it frequently because it it fits so well in everything, and it's it's just a format staple that every 
player that's entering the format you want them to have copies of so that they can compete at least at their kitchen table um, versus cards that were there to hook you into buying a specific product. And they're happy just to move on to the next few ideas they have that link up to the next set. And sure, of course, eventually they're going to come back around on some of these. But you're going to get a nice healthy buffer, like three, five, seven years on these cards before you're going to see them again. Well, I would want to, I would have to sit there and do the math because I think I'd be curious to see your, your, your denominator is cards that were only printed in a, only printed in a commander set. So like not Sol Ring, only printed a commander set that are played in more than, let's say, 1,500 or 2,000 EDH decks. So there's reasonable demand for them. And your numerator is which of those cards has been printed a second time in Commander. Because it's not all of them, right? It's not all of them. So, like, for instance, Disruptor Quorum is only printed the one time. But especially if you go back to Commander 2013 and 15, it always feels like a lot of the more popular ones have returned. Uh, and I could be wrong on that. But I, I would have to sit down and do the math because that's the sensation I get. But I don't know if the numbers bear it out. I would want to go look. Other than True Name Nemesis showing up in Battle Bond, right? Battle Bond? Yes. Yeah, Battle Bond. I can't think of another one. There's there. I mean, again, I'd have to go back. I don't want to start digging through all the data on the cast. Good article. That's what I'm sure. Saying. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a good article coming. Yes. <laughs> all right. So after that is oppression. This is a. This is an interesting one. So oppression out of Urza Saga. Non-foils are like two bucks up to twelve fifty. So in the Urza Saga copy of Oppression, by the way, shout out to Jason and uh, I think somebody else pointed this out on Twitter, but Jason's the name I remember. In the Urza Saga copy of Oppression, the artwork contains Zancha and has uh, has her in the art. It is the only card that rep that has her represented in the art. So uh, she has now gone up with her recent printing. So that's where the Urza Saga one has spiked from. Also, Oppression is just a good card in EDH, right? Like if you whenever a player casts a spell, they discard a card. Like that's pretty damn obnoxious. So it was probably underplayed in EDH to begin with, right? Because what's, what's the play pattern on that? That's at uh, 1,400 decks. There is no way she's played enough in EDH. But that's why the Urza Saga one spiked. The 7th edition one I've also moved as well. But from what we can tell, people bought the Urza Saga one because it has a particular character. And then other people went, hey, the Urza Saga copy is gone or relisted at 15. And there's a bunch of 7th edition ones for 50 cents. I should buy all those up. So now people bought out the seventh edition one, not realizing that the demand is might not be there for it. Yeah, so I mean, it'll be that, interesting to see where the seventh edition price lands. And that might not be the only weak link in the logic chain there, because it's not clear Zanch is going to be a major commander either. No. <laughs> so, so there's that. Be, yep. Just who knows what we're going to end up with there. All right. So next on the list, we've got Walker of Secret Ways. This is the non-foil moving from fifty cents to three dollars on the back of foils, which I think have already made you money, right? Yeah. Yeah, they were good. And this they is people. This is people chasing Yuriko, um, which is probably going to end up being like the fourth or fifth most important commander to come out of this set. But that's not bad. Um, so everybody should. I mean, if you've got any of these Walker Secret Ways sitting around in bulk or something, this is a good time to send them into buy lists or try to unload them in trade or what have you. Oh yeah, you want to buy list the hell out of these. I I uh, I do think she's quite good. Like I think she will prove to be very popular. 
that right. might just be because I bought a bunch of copies, but I, I suspect she is going to be more popular than perhaps initially considered for some people. I think she's just a good confluence of factors, but I feel I'm, like I rambled about this before. I, I'm more excited to build Brutaclad at the moment just because of all the crazy shit you can do with that card. Um, but yeah, there, there are a lot of good options. Brutaclad is a cool card. No questions there. Yeah. So Throne of Geth, Scars of Mirrodin, the legacy tech. This is the non-foils now moving on the heels of the foils. Again, something like 50 cents to $3. That's blue-black Death Shadow tech in legacy. So who knows how long that's going to last um, or uh, for you know how, how much demand that pressure will be sustained out from the Pro Tour, say, 3, 6, 9, 12 months. Um, yeah. I think that Throne of Geth is something you want to be cashing in on shortly. Can I tell you... The day that this card spiked, the listing for the card said that the price increase percentage was 42,000 or what was it It was for the number. The number on the line was four, two, zero, six, nine, four, twenty, sixty nine. So I tweet. I just took a picture of it and tweeted it. And I had so many people tweet me and be like, oh, it went up because of it playing Legacy, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you, you sorry people, you sad, sorry people who cannot enjoy the simple beauty of this card having a natural price increase of 420.69. And you have to message <laughs> me, the person whose job it is, is to know why these cards spiked, <laughs> why it spiked. Everybody's already always eager to correct. Oh, God, it is. Yeah. <laughs> And we, you know, we don't know all the answers and we're happy to ask when we don't know, but boy, people are real eager to tell me whenever they, uh, they know something. Yep. Hello, right. internet. So yeah. some of the school foils from Lorwyn, um, Cliff pointed this out uh, a couple weeks back, moving from a dollar to $10, if you believe that. Um, in theory, he was saying that people would play this in Tuvasa. I guess he's presuming that there's going to be a merfolk theme there. I'm not entirely sold on this concept. So I think you definitely want to be selling out of some in the school of foils if you happen to be holding. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a cool card that's effective. I I was uh, not 100% on board with the two bounds of thinking, but at the same time, it is a strong card in any merfolk strategy that has white in it. It is a uh, Lorwyn foil that's very old, so it's not going to take a lot of sunlight to get people thinking about it and interested in it. So um I, I, I don't have a problem with it. I don't I don't have a problem with the pick. And I think you're probably in reasonable shape. But at the same time, I would be selling them if I had them because, again, you sell into the hype. So Groundbreaker foils from Planar Chaos are, in theory, our top gainer of the week, going from $10 to $200. Um, we need to consider that as a joke. Uh, as far as I know, there's nothing driving the price of Groundbreaker other than the foils being old. So... Ignore the $200 price tag and assume that these will land in the $15 to $20 range. Yes. Yeah, I am. Uh, I got nothing. I got nothing. I mean, I guess I could run that in Meldrotha. Mm. Real. It's a repeatable ball lightning. It's real bad. <laughs> three mana yeah. for six damage. That's mm. maybe three. Da- maybe six damage. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's jump in. Segment two here. Cars watch. James, why don't you get us started? Sure, we got a couple of good ones this week. Um, 
Several months out from the release of any set, it's time to start taking a look at which cards have settled in as uh, staples or demi-staples in EDH Commander Land. Um, from Dominaria, that includes the um, very flexibly applied utility of Helm of the Host. This is the artifact that lets you make tokens of the creature that it is uh, equipping. Um, foils of this card uh, look like they're going to top out at a, a very nice uh, new plateau sooner or later. Current buy price is about eight or nine dollars US. I would look for a sell target within say twelve to sixteen months, north of twenty dollars. Um, it's the top DOM card from uh, in EDH currently has open-ended synergy with you know basically most of the commanders that they will ever print. And it's not the kind of card I see them in being in a rush to reprint anytime soon. So I suspect you'll get a three to five year window on this one. My problem with this is I think your sell target's too low. This card seems really popular, like almost inexplicably so. Uh, so I think you could easily, I, th- I think you could definitely more than double this. I think you're in for probably 25 or $30 pretty it, once it's get, once it's making it to twenty, I think it's getting the twenty five or thirty. Yeah, I mean, if it if it gets to three or four thousand decks by Christmas, um, I'll feel more strongly about it. And certainly, you want to be looking, you know, at your local stores and people's trade binders overseas, etc., because this card is not being taken seriously in most quarters. Yeah, uh, it, it seems very popular with the people that it needs to be. I guess. Um. All right, my first card of the week is uh, Nether Trader in a uh, rare version from my normal choices here. It is the non-foil copies I'm looking at. If you can get the foils, great, but there are almost none of them out there right now. Uh, so it's kind of tricky to find them. But Nether Trader right now, non-foils, is a little over $4. I like this up to about maybe $10 to $15, $12 or so in that general ballpark. Um, there's not too deep supply it's okay supplies it's not nothing um but it enough for you to get a couple copies but it's going to be absurd in yuriko who i think is kind of like my sleeper pick for one of the more popular commanders out of this year's product uh it's never going to get reprinted it hasn't been reprinted since it was originally printed in time spiral we haven't seen a reprint so far i can't imagine why they would ever bring it back it's got haste it's got shadow it returns from the graveyard it's a real weird card um, you know, if you and, look, and sh- shadow is the death knell there for the reprint because they, they don't seem eager to go back to that keyword ever. Yeah, again, I would have to go do a little digging, but I'm kind of curious when the last time they printed a card with the word shadow on it was. It might have been time spiral. Um, and it's a, and it's a popular casual card. I actually v- remember when I was a kitchen table player way back a little before Zendikar. Uh, one of our friends buying a playset of them and playing with them, and uh, I, I don't, I, I believe that it's still kind of popular in those circles at times. All of this leading to the introduction of Yuriko, which now really likes this card, right? Like it's got shadows. So your opponents are never blocking it, which means you get to trigger your ninja to whenever you want it and your ninja abilities. Uh, it's got haste, which means um, you can, uh, you can play right from your hand and attack immediately. Or more importantly, you can sacrifice a creature on your turn uh, return Nether Shadow to play and immediately attack with it and get your Ninjutsu trigger. So it's going to be very easy to get this, uh, get this through to your opponent, which I really like. So I see, uh, I see supply another trader draining here now that we have a real good reason to play a card with that confluence of abilities. 
and my yeah i think it's narrow (laughs) i think it's i think it's narrow in the sense that it's it's probably most most of its demand will come from how successful yuriko is it's not as cool um sorry (laughs) not cool um it's not as exciting to me as you know cards that are you know colorless artifacts that fit all over the place like panharmonicon or gilded lotus or helm of the host or whatever um lightning greaves etc um but because this card hasn't been printed in so long and it's only got a single printing and you know the foils especially can be had for 10 to 12 dollars and there's basically no supply likely to show up to replace those copies as they drain um yeah it's if you need a copy for your deck go ahead just get your non-foil if you want to make some money in the next say three months i i would pick up three or four foils and put them in your in your spec pile yeah so it's it's i agree you know it's not it's not a panharmonic kind of not that universal but you're never seeing more of these in the market than there are today and you're never getting it reprinted either so yep i agree um, so this next one's an interesting one. It's a reserve list card that is in 10,000 EDH decks, which should immediately grab our attention. It's also, however, a card that has already tripled or quadrupled in the last year. The card I'm talking about is Wheel of Fortune, the revised copy. Um, currently at $100, I'm now targeting it to hit $200 because the number of copies floating around seems to be draining and draining and draining. And between EDH commander demand... Um, cube and collectors and the fact that the judge promo is over at, already at $400 and they're never reprinting anymore of this card. I think it's a slam dunk. Whether you get to 200 in six months or two years, I don't know 100% for sure when that next push will be on some of this stuff. But um, I think it's the kind of card, especially if you're playing Nekasar, you can just go ahead and get your copy if you don't have it already, tuck it away into one of your decks and revisit down the road to see where you've ended up. It's a very good card, and I always seem to have an EDH deck that wants to play it. Uh, it's, you know, the uh, Nekusar is only the tip of the iceberg in terms of decks that want that effect. It's basically useful in almost any deck that plays red. Um <clears throat> even the more aggressive ones, because they can play out their hand and then dump it. Uh, and Wheel of Fortune, essentially the same reason you'd play it in any other format, and the same reason it's banned in most of them. Um, 200 is, it seems like a lot, you know, given that we have the revised copies, but it's very good. We know that uh, Wheel of Fortune effects tend to do pretty well, too. Uh, if you look at, like, um, Foil, uh, the Foil Miracle that does this for two mana is, uh, is kind of pricey because it's a popular effect. Um, it just seems like the demand is there that this could hit 200, and I don't, I don't know when that's going to happen. It seems like uh, that could take a little bit of time. It's going to be hard for people to, to do a run on a hundred dollar copy of a card, but for minty mint revised copies, sure, I can see them getting there. The thing is that if there was 200 copies of these sitting around at 100 bucks on TCG, I wouldn't be very excited. But there's more like 10, 20 copies last I checked. Let me just take a look. Yeah. Which is not many because, you know, you get a couple people that buy them without it getting refilled. Somebody notices, they go, oh, shoot, I have to hurry up and buy mine. And they're probably not all at $100 either, right? Probably some at $110, $120, 130 Exactly. Yeah, the ramp's pretty steep. And yeah, it's, it's something like 15, 20 copies before the supply has been pushed up over 150 So um, certainly not the kind of thing you, if you ever intend to own this card, go ahead and grab it now. Um, it's one of the ones that's well known enough that given that this is the, the cheapest printing of the card that is available, um, 
It's got nowhere to go. Yep. But up. Totally on board with that. Um, let's see. All right. So my next card of the week is stolen identity. Uh, this is kind of a weird one, but I, uh, was flipping through the Yuri, new Yuriko page on EDA track. You're going to notice a theme here this week and saw that, uh, this was one of the popular spells. And I'm like, Hmm, like I didn't really do much for me at first, uh, because you know, it's kind of expensive and haven't really cared about it before. But then it was then I kind of realized I'm like, oh, yeah, this has Cypher and Cypher is suddenly a lot better when your entire deck is built around creatures being unblockable. Right. Uh, like that's something people are going to care about. So I went and looked. It's in uh, over 6000 EDH decks, which is pretty considerable. Right. Like that's not a small number of decks. Um Supply is on the lower side for foils. You can get them at like a dollar fifty. It's not. It's not empty. It's not an empty market for these. But I do see uh, every year your players probably going to be looking for foil copies. You will see that start to drain. You might see that demand spread out um, as more people are exposed to it. Uh, you're probably not going to see it again anytime soon. Like Cipher is really weird. It wasn't really that popular, so we shouldn't expect supply to come any more. Supply to come back it was also Gate Crash, which was the least popular. Now the second least, po- basically, Return the Ravnica was popular. Uh, Gate Crash Dragon's Maze were not. So there's not quite as much supply out there, I think, as you would expect from a Return of the Ravnica card. But even that isn't really that big of a deal because we know a lot of Return of the Ravnica cards have moved in price pretty well. Um, so a little bit of a sleeper. I don't think you're going to get a massive payoff on this, but the buy-in is so cheap on these foils that you can grab them at $1.50 or so and then stick them in your trade binder at 8 or uh, buy list them you know, at 4 or 5 bucks if you picked up like a stack of 30 of them. Uh, later on and just you know with a 30 percent trade credit or wherever you go that'll be a pretty good payoff yeah you're not even going to be able to get 30 of these there's only like 12 results left on tcg and nobody's got more than one copy so i mean oh has it gotten that low yeah so i mean i think that somebody scooping up the rest of those for like 30 dollars or whatever is a totally reasonable little play um i I, again i think that yuriko cards uh, as the fifth best commander in a specific product line um shouldn't be a massive priority but if you've already chosen to focus on yurko cards and you're doing well with them and you feel like you've got the outlets like you can follow up on sales you've already made and offer them some additional cards and that kind of thing or you're trading into your commander play group then again you're totally right about cypher not getting a reprint i i don't see any i think cypher cards are basically on the reserve list yeah they're close to that and shadow are definitely cypher is a little more reprintable than shadow but yeah they're both not not too popular. You you do not uh, like Yuriko the way I do. That's for sure. No, I actually want to... I, I would argue I'm most interested in building Yuriko. I'm just not seeing the statistics on EDH Rec yet that reflect that that's going to be the one people gravitate towards. I think that because it people get are, are not wrapping their heads around the fact that it's not a ninja deck, that there are some ninjas in it, but that that's not really the focus of the deck. The focus of the deck is to Voltron up Yuriko and get her in. <laughs> over and over, over and over again. Well, uh, I mean, you can definitely go that way. See, I, I I agree with you that it's not a ninja deck; they're just ninja cards. But that's kind of why I like her because you can build like, oh, this is my cool ninja deck, which is something nerds are gonna, anime nerds are going to love. But it's it's better than a tribal deck. It's more flexible because it's not just about ninjas, right? It does other things. Yep. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I and I, it's interesting that you said that you're like, oh, it's a deck I'm most interested to play with, but you don't see the demand because I also think it's probably the coolest commander to build aside from maybe Brutaclod, which it's like, okay, well, if we feel that way, do other people not feel that way? So I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just funny that you say that because it's like, well, 
if you you know if you're thinking that other people might be too i don't know yeah, i could so be totally wrong it's more my argument is isn't that there aren't Yuriko card selling we already have established in conversations on prior casts and in private that that has definitely worked out for you already and i've i've sold a few as well um it's more that i just think that people's if when people are prioritizing if they've only got 20 dollars to spend this week go for the open-ended card that's going to fit in a whole bunch of decks not the one that's that's latched to one specific commander because it'll give you bigger better exit points down the road if you miss your first one well yeah that's for sure true that you know the these are good nether trader stolen identity things like that are good diversification choices instead of buying a hundred copies of panharmonica and maybe you want to get like you know 30 or 60 or whatever uh and then be like well what else do i want to go in type of thing so i agree so they're you know they're not all created equal yep agreed so you have uh another one for us this week what uh what is it yeah so my other this week uh, let me just bring that up uh caracas the ema and judge foils um on the back of legacy play in various decks including death and taxes um confidence level of about eight um ema foils have been have been pushing lately and and uh, what i mean by that is that they've been draining out of the market and the prices have been inching higher week over week for many of the key cards um and i don't think caracas is going to get left behind um, you can currently pick up foils in the eighty to ninety dollar range. I think they're a shoe in to top one twenty before it ever sees a reprint, which I could could be years down the road at this point. Um, since I think that we're going to see a lot more modern reprints going into twenty nineteen than we will cards focused for legacy play. Um, so that would be like a thirty to fifty percent gain you'd be looking to garner somewhere in the next six to eighteen months. Totally on board with that. Seems quite reasonable. Um, <clears throat> Foil EMA cards are in pretty short supply across the board. I don't see them returning to that well anytime soon. They have no reason to crush the price of Caracas. Um, you know, Tarmogoyf, they kind of had a reason to go after to bring down, but like they don't need to with Caracas. They printed it once. They're going to let that remain sort of a chase card out there. Um, and partly because they would like that to uh, drain so that they can have that as another bullet in the chamber for another master set in several years. So I think that's a, a good idea. When I first looked at this last week, it, there was co- I think the lowest copy on TCG was 85. This week it's 75, and then it qu- quickly climbs back up. So um, I like snapping up those $75 copies or looking for to pick some copies up on an eBay sale in the near future if a coupon r- emerges. Sure, works for me. All right, uh, last pick of the week. I'm going to go with you guys, Servant of Oni. We talked about the Betrayers of Kamigawa pack foil jumping from 8 to about 27 earlier. It was one of our uh, tap movers. There are two more copies out there. There's a pre-release promo and an FTV promo, both available in the 6 to $8 range. So right underneath where the pack foils were, uh, both perfectly serviceable. Uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you that the FTV 20 copies feel as good to play with as the Betrayers of Kamigawa pack foils. Um, and the pre-release foils are the same cop- same quality of card as the original ones, but uh, the art's different. Uh, better or worse is arguable, but they are still foil ink eyes. Supply is generally quite low across the board. We seem to have found one guy with an abnormally high number of copies of the pre-release promo, but other than that, there are very few out there. So, you know... I don't even have to promise you $30. If you're paying six, seven, eight bucks on these and they hit $15, $16, you're making 10 bucks a copy easily. So, uh, you know, if you think 
that my rambling about Yuriko this week and the last two weeks is at all founded, then you are definitely going to be interested in, in guys here. Yeah, and I think that the the thing you want to double check in situations like this is have buy lists are buy lists already giving you backing on on your options, right? So like if we look over on say something like uh, Alpha Beta Unlimited Games, avogames.com and and look what they're paying on the card, they're uh, already offering eighteen on the BOK foils, so they obviously believe that there is going to be some demand there. They're only offering a couple bucks on the FDB twenties, but I suspect that that will, as they drain out of the original foils, people will be looking for the next best option, and you'll see the buy list on the FDB twenty version and the pre uh, release promo rise as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems seems like a good uh, a good setup for for you. Uh, okay, let's get to segment three, our metagame week in review. Uh, we had GP Brussels and GP Orlando, two standard events. We saw, oh, I hate how these Wizards pages don't tell you who won. Oh, God, they're so bad. Somebody won one of them and somebody won the other one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so GP Brussels was Jeremy Tassani. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, winning, it was Tassani. Winning, winning, winning with Esper Control. That's a, uh, an older European player who has always been uh, a dangerous uh, person to have at top tables. Um, <laughs> That's funny uh, because you'll recall that Jeremy Dizani got in uh, a bit of a scuffle a couple pro tours ago when he was going around to the uh, vendors on site and asking them what cards people were buying and was like getting <laughs> that information from uh, vendors, which uh, the other pros in the room did not appreciate. Yeah, that's 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 working the edge. Um, Guillaume Wafatapa also top aided with the Esper Control build. Um, the I mean, the rest of the decks from Brussels included Red Deck Wins, the Turbo Fog in third, Sultai Agro, Esper Control, God Pharaoh's Gift Control, Esper Control, and Rakdos Agro. And then over in the other top eight, we had. Uh, just give me one second to pull that up. Grand Prix Orlando was Mono Red Wizards, Grixis Midrange, Blue White Approach, Esper Control, Red Black Aggro, Green Black Constrictor, Blue Black Midrange, Grixis Midrange. Some total. This looks like a pretty healthy place for this standard format to end up, yeah? Oh, uh, yeah. Overall, I would agree. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> you know, it's. It's standard in mid-August, so it is about as irrelevant as standard formats get. I would say it is deceptively uh, reasonable looking. It seems like people are pretty comfortable with it, but there's a lot of Teferi out there uh, if you kind of start looking for them. And I saw some very esteemed and knowledgeable players on Twitter who said, they're like, it is rare that they print a card where every single line of text is bad like bad, like poorly built. Uh, but Teferi is one of them. Like just every line of text makes this card uh, is poor. It's poor design. Um, which, which of course opens up this interesting line of discussion for MTG finance as to whether Teferi is the card you want to be hoarding during its lulls in the summer here and hoping it's going to hit 60 to 70, or is it a card that's going to get banned at some point in its standard existence because it's too good. And, you know, once the format shrinks in the fall, there isn't enough to stand toe to toe against it. 
and they end up giving it the you know the band hammer that's been so common in standard the last five years well, yeah you know i wanted to recommend buying this i was like okay if this card is twenty dollars i think it's a buy i think you can spec on this in the middle of august and we'll hit 35 or 40 bucks in the fall and you'll have no problem getting rid of them well it's like 35 dollars right now like 35 dollars in the middle of august for a standard planeswalker. Now, I went and did a little digging, and it is uh, Gideon, ally of Zendikar, which you will all remember as the defining card of standard for two years, was more than $30 for a combined total of like two weeks. Uh, it was mostly 30 and below. So if Teferi's hanging out at that price already, like that is, people really think that card is legitimate. I guess I feel like you'd have a lot of room before this card got banned. Like if you're like Wizards isn't going to preemptively ban it. That seems like they're going to take their sweet time if that's where they have to go with this. Um, but it's so hard for me to tell people to buy this card at 35 because that's such a high price tag. But at the same time, I absolutely believe there is a universe where this is $70. Yeah. I mean, the other the other funny thing here is that Karn uh, is in the same set <laughs> and is also $30. Yeah. So you've got two planeswalkers over thirty from the same set, or very close to thirty anyway, on average over thirty. Yeah, that's did they did they intend to push all the planeswalkers from that set? Like I don't understand how we end up in this universe. I, I feel like Dominaria was tweaked for sales, right? <laughs> I mean, it certainly seems that way now, and, and not just from the from the angle of having expensive, overpowered planeswalkers. Like the the entire set, they put a lot of effort into. Um, and, yes. and people are, have been very happy with the result. So Karn, Teferi, cards that could make us money. Yeah, probably. But standard is just such a low priority for me. Continuing on into the fall of 2018, there are going to be opportunities that arise. But the, the modern and EDH stuff um, and the reserve list stuff has just been so much more reliable for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I agree completely. And, you know, it's fun to kind of look at this stuff. And standard is the type of place where you can make. It's tempting because a card can jump not only really hard, but really fast um, and then stay there. And you will also sell the copies very easily. Like they tend to be very liquid for the most part. Uh, if you're just talking about like non-foil English copies like Teferi's, like it doesn't matter what price Teferi is, he will sell copies regularly. Uh, so if you're, you know, when you're talking about speculating, it's something because you're like, there's a ton on the market now. If I get them, then they're and they spike, I'm going to be able to sell every single copy so I can buy a bunch now. I can sell them all afterwards and make a ton of money. And even if I think something like, you know, pre-release foil ink eyes is a slam dunk. Like it's harder to find them now and it's going to sell slower afterwards. So even if I like it more, there's less reward. Um, so I get the temptation completely, but at the same time, it's like, mm, I don't know. That's, there's so much supply to deal with. I don't know. I, I, I used to really like specking on standard cards. The lands used to be the closest thing to free money in this hobby. Uh, but it's been a while since I've been down that road. Yeah, Ed was up on your X cast the other night saying that he thought the land the land cycles that are currently that are going to still be in play um, from the past year that will be legit in the fall are all buys. I I, I wasn't buying it. I I don't think that I, I think that those lands have a chance of getting from like four dollars to eight dollars kind of thing, and that those playsets don't just don't make you enough money and and carry too much risk. Um, the if you can find lands that 
are going to get played in EDH or in modern or something and you can get the foils at their low, then yeah, that's that's a thing. Um, but otherwise, you know, I'm expecting Ravnica to either have shock lands, which will become the dominant uh, duels in the format, or a replacement of that, or one of the cycles that we haven't seen in a while, um, all of which will undercut the potential for the lands to do really well. Yeah. Um, so there's an interesting juxtap- juxtaposition here, though, right? Because the we may as well tie this all together. We we only Nexus of Fate has been the hot button topic for the last few weeks for Magic players. Did Wizards make a major error in printing a card that was too good um, for the buy box promos? Um, you seem to still be of the opinion that this this is, if not a problem right now, very likely to become one. Okay, so let me. Uh, all right, first of all, let me stop everything else I'm doing so I can focus on this conversation. Second, uh, <laughs> the I, I I think that you know when you talk about uh, specking on standard cards, it's important to consider the perspective of the person telling you. Only because if you're a vendor buying lands in, at four and selling them at eight is a gold mine because you can plow through hundreds of them in a weekend. Sure. If you're just a local player, it's a completely different metric, which is why soul rings are amazing if you own a store case and worthless if you don't. Um, yep. And our and you know our uh, our buddy Tark over at Quiet Spec said he's been feeling more and more like Shocklands aren't in Ravnica this fall. Uh, so you know I I I. I suppose it's possible. You know, I'm not, I don't think that that's completely out of the realm of possibility. I am still, would still err on the side of them showing up, uh, but maybe not. So that takes us to segment four, our topic of the week, Nexus of Fate. So this is one of the places I think uh, are for our dear listeners here, where I don't think James and I have on the surface disagreed more on anything prior to this. So I think it's important to set the goalposts here. My, uh, perspective on this is first and foremost that in its current iteration, the buy a box promo uh, program is uh, very bad on the surface for players. It's very feel bad for most players. And the reason that this conversation sprung up again is because we had uh, the Twitter handles, Blake PR, I forget his real, his full name, commented in some interview or something that there were more copies of Nexus of Fate on the market than there are other any other mythic from M19. And a couple people like Corbin were quick to point out that that means that Nexus of Fate can't be a problem. How could it? Because there are more copies. My second position here is that the fact that there are more copies of Nexus of Fate printed than any other M19 mythic is... Uh, not nearly as material important as they would choose to believe uh, because the distribution models dramatically change the way that those copies exist in the ecosystem. So those are my two premises, my two hypotheses. I don't actually think we're that far off here. Um, I understand what people are saying in terms of why this program can become problematic either um, as pertains to Nexus of Fate specifically or to some future card, because as far as we know, this program is ongoing. Um, there was a moment at the Pro Tour where it felt like Turbo Fog was a breakthrough deck. If that deck had become dominant and started showing up as four or five of the um, top eight deck lists in subsequent weeks, and that goes on for two months or so, you will hit a critical mass on the price of the card. The card would hit 
you know, 60, 65, 70, or people would run away from the format, um, preferring to play other things than instead of, you know, having to buy in on this card that they're chasing around. And the problem with the card, um, even though they've revealed that there are actually more of this, more copies of this card printed than there are of any other mythic in um, M19, the problem is that that Unlike Teferi in Karn, where every time somebody drafts one of these, if they're not planning on playing it in the near future, they will tend to cash it in for, for a $20 bill or whatever at their local LGS and, and be like, ha ha ha, I'm up money today. Um, that just isn't happening with the Nexus of Fates. Because as I've spoken to in, in a previous conversation and repeatedly on Twitter, a lot of the people that go in and buy a box are not the you know competitive sharks of the format that go in and buy the play sets of the decks they need. Um, they are the more casual kind of standard like F and M kind of kind of dudes and dudettes, and they are probably holding on to the Nexus of Fate in their trade binders, um, even though they're not actually playing that single copy. They've withdrawn the copy from the market, and my argument, as people were pointing the finger at MTG Finance for driving the price up, was that though, of course, some some uh, LGSs held copies back or didn't distribute them or didn't sell enough boxes and ended up posting multiple copies online for sale. And of course, people like us got in early and got out already um, on some copies. The reality is that the majority of the missing copies from the market that would drive the price down are actually sitting in people's hands. Um, so the players have to look to themselves before they start, start pointing fingers all over the place was one of my core points. The other one is that the crisis has not manifested. The car, price of the card has fallen since the Pro Tour. It is not dominating the results. We had two big GPs, one on either side of the Atlantic this weekend. We only had one copy of Turbo Fog finish in the top eight of either. Right. Wow. So go, go ahead. Finish your thought. So. That doesn't prove that it's out of the running, and it doesn't prove that the deck um, is done uh, dealing damage. But the reality is, as you said, we're at a we're at the end of a lame duck standard period. We're about to rotate in an, in another six weeks or so, and as a result, this is going to end up having a minor impact on the development of standard. Yeah. Now, now, do I agree that it can create feel bads? Sure, but I think they're mostly irrational. If the feel bad is I didn't buy a box, so I don't have copies, and therefore I have to pay $30 for them to play with, that's a potential with any mythic in any set related to standard. We've seen tons of $30 mythics in the last five years. We will continue to see $30 mythics. They don't have to buy a box promos to get there. If the promo got to 80 plus, then the the argument would be <laughs> would be a lot stronger in terms of in, in terms of driving the price up of standard and if the deck was more dominant. Okay, likewise. well, so I want to pinpoint here that Nexus of Fate is one instance of this process. So it's not to say that Nexus of Fate, the specific card, is the issue. It is merely a one iteration of a cycle we are going to see over and over that may present that problem. It has come closer than the only other instance of this uh, process, which was the fire speaker or whatever. We don't know what will come. So it may not, my my fears may not come to bear uh, and may not come to pass with Nexus of Fate specifically. That doesn't mean another one can't in the future. Uh, when I was arguing with Corbin about this, oh. well, go ahead. And, and, and on those those points, we agree. Not okay. only do I not only do I agree that Nexus of Point can get there. I mean, sorry, Nexus of Fate can get to that point 
where it is an, a legit problem. I, I think that future cards have that same problem potential. Sure. So proceed. Okay. So arguing with Corbin on Twitter, he pointed out that uh I believe it was after the GP results, but maybe not. But he pointed out that the price had fallen. It wasn't taking over standard. And you pointed out that there was only one copy in the top eight of both GPs. All correct. But we'll point out there were three in the top 25 of the one and four in the top 32 of the other. So while it didn't dominate, uh, it was not missing. We know that there were certainly copies out there. It's also, I'm guessing, a little trickier to play than some of the other decks. Um, and given the buy-in of $120 to $150 worth of Mythics, several players who wanted to play might not have been able to. So, you know, you might have kind of had a not quite enough cards out there to support the players who wanted to play it type of thing, uh, or at least not that quickly. Uh, it's also, like you said, a terrible time in Standard. Uh, so demand across the board for Standard cards is kind of low. This, there's, this is just a thing that we know. This is how Standard behaves. Is the demand for any card in standard in the middle of August, a couple weeks after the Pro Tour, is not going to be as high as it will be in early October when the set is brand new. We know player engagement levels spike a little before Christmas and late, uh, early midfall. Uh, so, you know, Teferi's $35 right now in middle of August, I bet that card's more expensive in October. And I'm inclined to believe that it is true of Nexus of Fate. Now, let me well, give you. Go ahead. One of the key things here is whether Haze of Pollen gets gets uh, a replacement. Well, right? sure, sure, sure. I actually it, have it, an example they, deck list. I don't know what pieces are missing, so I'm just kind of assuming that the deck mostly maintains through the rotation. It could get destroyed by the rotation and completely fall off the map. Well, the question. I I don't think the deck survives if it doesn't have seven to eight copies of Fogs, or or if the format rotates away from decks that want to attack, because having eight dead fogs against a control deck, uh, a control heavy meta is not going to be good either. Sure. Um, so they would have to go in a different, different direction there, but by all accounts, they do have a decent game against control in the current incarnations. So there is a, the question of what happens to when haze of pollen rotates. Um, if there isn't a replacement among the guilds, the first guilds we get out of Ravnica, then, you know, Nexus of Fate could sit on the sidelines for a while. And one of the interesting things there is that, I've already been in and out of this card, including both uh, the English and Russian copies. Um, but I'll be looking for another entry point. <laughs> as soon as people decide this deck is garbage or this card is bad or they forget about it or it fades into oblivion, we're going to get some opportunity, I guarantee, in the next three, six, nine months where this card's going to be back in the 10 to $15 range. And then it's going to be a long-term buy for EDH. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's certainly possible. Uh, I, I don't know how popular it is in EDH at the moment, how popular it will be. Time walks tend to be popular in that format, so it seems reasonable. The What I really want to point to here, and, and this is the reason we're having this whole conversation again that I haven't really touched on quite yet, is this uh, comment that there's more Nexus in pop play than, or in the, in, that have been printed than any other Mythic in M19. So let's talk for a minute here. Uh, when a set is released, there's a huge amount of people that show up and buy boxes, right? And like this is where the promo was extremely successful. It drove in a massive amount of foot traffic to stores where people bought boxes that they normally wouldn't. So no arguments whatsoever that it did very good job of, of succeeding there. You get a lot of 
you then there's a lot of drafting right away. And that's where a lot of copies empty the, uh, enter the market. A lot of copies of cards enter the market. It tails off a little bit after that. Still, it still maintains, right? But like pre-release and release weekends, a pretty big surge. Then eventually the MTGO redemption start and you get another kind of dump into the market because all of the uh, guys running bots and, and, and what have you are uh, cashing out their tickets by turning them into play sets and then selling them in paper. Uh, so you kind of get a second surge there for that, what, like six week window where that's available. It used to be the entire, like more than the time that the set was legal and standard, but wizards really hammered the door shut on that one. So there's a huge influx of copies that are opened early on in the hands of players who are showing up to your pre-releases and releases and then coming back to their stores and drafting. And then they're entering the market through MTGO redemptions, which are being sold through vendors or high high volume traders type of thing. Contrast that with the buy box promos where they are 100% released basically uh, on Wednesday between pre-release and release. Actually, no, you can buy your box on pre-release now, right? Like that's when you're allowed to take your box home. So they are yeah. so they are 98%, 99% released that weekend because um, you know there might be a stores that hold them and don't sell them or don't give them away with the boxes like they're supposed to. So that can happen a little bit. But for the most part, they all go out the door that pre-release weekend. And that's it. They're gone. Now I want you to ask yourself, do you... How many boxes did you buy? How many boxes did your friends buy? Out of everyone that you went to the last four or five GPs with, how many of them took home a buy box promo? I travel in a group of players. Uh, I have like, there's like, we have like one or two silver players. I think, I don't think one of them's gold yet. I think they're all still on the silver train. I've got two GP winners. They're PPTQing every weekend that it's available. Like there's some pretty serious uh, magic players in my social circle. Not one of them bought a box. And it has been like that since I started playing Magic at FNM level back in Zendikar. It's just not a thing in franchise players do. They know they don't need to. Uh, they buy singles and they leave the boxes to people who love gambling. And we see those people open boxes. Uh, we know of them, but they're not us. <coughs> oh, excuse me, just have to take a sip of water. Mm. <clears throat> Most of those boxes are going to people that are taking the box and the promo home. They're opening those packs at their kitchen table with their friends. And then that's it. That's where those cards die. They do not leave that house. There is no trade binder. There's just piles of cards in a living room or in the corner of a den somewhere. And they stay there until they bring their whole box of magic cards to the store to sell out of the game. Whether it's two months later or two years later or 10 years later. So you have this huge volume of Nexus of Fate promos that are going into the hands of the type of people to buy a box on release weekend, which again is not the people coming back to stores for FNM week in, week out who have trade binders who are keeping up on prices, who care about any of this. It's people who are going home with their cards, never looking any of the prices up ever again, and just playing with this stuff at home. And I've seen heavily played foil Jace the Mind Sculptors from World Wake because people open it in their box and just played with it. No sleeve. They didn't know. I mean, that card was like $1,000 at the time. Those people had no idea. You can't even tell the person because these are people who like, you know, these aren't people with 200,000 a year jobs. Like if they had known that card was $1,000, they would have been sick to their stomach. Um, 
So these these nexus of faith, these buybacks from others, are going to disappear because they're landing in the hands of people who do not bring them back into the ecosystem. So, and I, and I know we agree there, and you've talked about this before. This attrition into casual players uh, collections. So even though there's more of them and they have been printed, there's way, way, way fewer available on the market. And where this ties in is that if it's not nexus of faith that's the problem, if the deck falls apart, if it's not that good, if there's hate for it, if it can't keep up with the fogs, whatever, that's fine. Like you will have dodged that bullet. But if they keep doing this, the odds, there's, you know, some percentage of a chance every single time that one of these promos is going to be really relevant. And suddenly it does not matter how many you print it. If 85% of them are still in the hands of people who took them home and will never know the price of that card, there's not that many left in the market and you cannot get more of them. And that price whoop, through the roof. Sure. And, and I agree that's that's a, a potential happening. But when we look at Nexus of Fate, the, our theory about the casual player attrition withholding from the market isn't playing out yet. The There are as many, if not more, copies of Nexus Fade on TCG Player at $25 than there are any other Mythic from that set. You know what I'm saying? Like There, there are hundreds of copies of Nexus of Fate available. It, it crashed as it was targeted as the deck emerged. But a lot, of, I think what has, has in part saved the day or averted disaster, there, there are two pillars as it were the first is the deck isn't doing that well it's a solid deck but the the meta seems to be able to um shift and react insult to injury is one of the ways that some of the red decks are handling it um and it's not going to be in the format for that long so people are, are less likely le- less willing to commit to the deck given that they don't have a whole bunch of qualifiers coming up nationals only has a couple more weekends left out of the five that they were running it um and you know turbo fog just may fade completely once we get to october rotation the other part of it is that i think a lot of the copies that came back into the market were the ones that the stores hadn't sold yet (laughs) a lot of smaller stores may not have been as on the ball i mean you and i both have been in many a store where you know they're a little sleepy uh in terms of keeping on top of what's going on not every guy running an lgs a a level one wpn store no, really knows magic that I, well. I'm just going to point out play. to you here. I do so, not give them the benefit of the doubt. I fully suspect that it is intentional because I know more card store owners who intentionally hold those promos back so they can sell them than just forget about them. Sure. And yeah, mm-hmm. and for sure that happens too. Um, but my point is that the reason there are, there are copies in the market is a combination of players and vendors have put them out there to be sold. And and that that has tested the the demand versus supply equation and the price has fallen 10 or 15 dollars because there isn't actually that much latent demand right now and there's not more demand than there is supply yeah. now now if you're right and the deck survives or he- <laughs> heaven forbid gets better and the the meta narrows um, with a smaller card pool and it turns out that it's like turbo fog versus some you know yet another fall red aggro deck and the meta is boring beyond that, then they're going to have a real problem in standard and something might get banned or Nexus of, of Fate might get an emergency reprint or whatever. Um, I, I just don't think it's... I think that they have gathered the data <laughs> from the Nexus of Fate debacle. Whether it was ever a real crisis or not, There were it still, as you said, created feel-bads. Players were upset about it. Um, and that's not something they, they're going to want to pursue. Now, they've probably already locked in their promo for Ravnica, so it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of a card is associated with that uh, set. 
Yeah, and I mean, more likely than not, it'll be something that's heavily multicolor and not going to be a huge drag on standard because heavily multicolored cards typically aren't. I don't think that a seeing more Nexus in the market, excuse me, right now is necessarily that telling because I think that you take a card like Teferi or Karn, which has, I would argue, very likely a higher liquid supply than Nexus does. It's just that a lot of players own them already. They the people bought play sets and they're holding them because they want to have access to them, uh, or or what have you. Whereas, you know, they they knew Karn was good, they knew Teferi was good. Nobody was on the Nexus of Fate bandwagon until like three days before the Pro Tour or whatever. Um, you have the impending rotation. The fact that Standard's a lame duck right now rotation coming in the fall you don't know if it's good or not players who are the type of person to own a play set of Carnes or own a play set of teferis which they know are good and necessary and will continue to be good have no idea what to think about nexus of fate and if you're not playing any standard events right now you're not going to buy in because it could get destroyed right like you just don't know whereas you're confident in teferi what will happen though is if we get through if we get through rotation and it's like oh whoops this is really good all of those players who didn't want to buy in because they just didn't know what was going to happen with Nexus are now suddenly finding the deck still is tier one and is keeping up now have to go buy them. And so like you could have 20% less total Nexuses in the greater magic market ecosystem. It's just that there are fewer players willing to commit at the moment, but once they are willing to commit, you can see those drain pretty hard. So are you aware of what this deck costs currently? Uh, in paper i i am not i'm guessing it's probably what would you guess without i don't know anything about the list uh other than it's got four nexus of fates and it plays fogs i know it's got teferis four teferis i would assume that there's mostly it's probably bant no it's got to be bant right uh and probably a lot of commons and uncommons because of like the other fogs and the enchantment lands so if you have a place at a nexus of fates like 120 a place out of teferis like 150 so 270 so i'm gonna go with like 400 for 500 good analysis it's pretty close to five um so one of my core points here is the rest of this deck is not very expensive in a worst case scenario if the nexus uh, of fate playset goes to like 300 or whatever you're still talking about a six seven maybe eight hundred dollar deck if teferi climbs with um search for Azkanta being the other relatively pricey card in there so the overall deck price is not that bad and during cons of cartier tar- cons of tarkir block when decks were well over a thousand dollars on average um you know that was a very busy standard format and did it price some players out yeah sure but I, I don't think that between 500 and 1,000, we need to be worried about where standard is headed. I think we need to, you need to be much more worried about really narrow metas um, or completely unavailable necessary cards. So if Nexus of Fate sold out completely at $100 or something, then you've got real problems in standard. But for now, I think this is more of a, war, a caution sign than it is a red alert. Well, you know, I'm, I don't have any of the data. Uh, so all I can do is speak to my gut feeling. But if you take a deck that's $600 and you know 450 of that is within 12 cards uh i think that is and and you know nexus of fate is one of them at like 70 bucks a pop 80 bucks a pop and the alternative to that is like the cons of Tarkir where it's a thousand dollars, but it's distributed much more evenly across the mana base and a couple other cards in the 75 i think 
that even though the Nexus of Fate deck is you know two or three hundred dollars cheaper, I would guess psychologically it's much worse. Players feel much worse about it because they have to pay sixty, seventy, eighty dollars a piece for four cards that they're probably only using right there. They know they're not going to be playing them much after standard. It just feels like a real burn. Whereas cons of Tarkir, it was real expensive, but you got a place set of fe- a couple of fetch lands for modern. You also knew the lands were still going to be useful, like some of your other cards, like the Jaces you would thought were still going to be good in modern, maybe legacy. Like you felt it was more distributed and you also felt better about the cards individually. Like they were more useful elsewhere. Whereas Nexus of Fate feels like it's essentially a one shot, right? Like you're going to use it and then burn them because you know that they're going to be dead after that. Um, so I, I, I would guess with no data that like, even though they're ch- the deck could be cheaper, it still feels bad to try and buy into it essentially. All right. I think we've covered the ground sufficiently. Um, <laughs> we can probably call it a night. Uh, that's a wrap for this week, folks. Where can people find you online, Travis? Uh, I think this is the first week where you've been the one to tell me to stop. <laughs> I'll tell you to stop. I just think like everybody knows has now covered this ground and we've, we've set our piece, you know, pe- people have already made up their minds one way or the other is my take on this one. And, you know, we can revisit this when we see how standard regroups in October. Okay. I, w- I just want to make w- one short point. If Nexus of Fate goes down in price and is never talked about in standard again, that doesn't mean I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm on uh, tw- I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin B U M P I N. <laughs> I'm available uh, every Monday with the Watchtower series at mtgprice.com. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Sorry, James, his audio cut out on the recording, and I could not track him down to get him to record that last line. But that brings us to the end of MTG Fast Finance episode 131. We've both enjoyed our time here this evening, and we will see you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm